0: from Belgium. He is an old-timer. He has been with us ever since. We started this enterprise several years ago. I hate to come here. And uh, he is uh, going to take over my slot this morning. The same topic, but uh, he is going to do it because he only has a few days. Maybe you are leaving tomorrow. So, to take advantage. And uh, I would like to say that this may be a little bit repetitious in the sense that yesterday afternoon I was already talking about the arbitrage of the retail merchant between the consumer goods market and the bill market. And uh, it will be interesting to see the same topic discussed from a different uh, point of view. So I pass it on to you Peter. You
1: are on. Thank you. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces. I also see a few faces that I have never seen. Um, my name is Peter. As, I've, as you have heard, um, for those people who don't know me, I'm um, a tax consultant in Belgium. And I'll give you uh, my email and the website. This uh, is in English by the way. You can always revert back because a lot of my slides that I have used in the past are also on my website. This is my email. I've noticed, the, it's not Gmail, it's my company, uh, Pintax. Pintax stands for private the V-A-N. Peter, V-A-N, Copernola. You can also use info at Pintax.be. But Pintax is uh, basically it's an abbreviation of private investment and tax advice. Simple as that. Now that you know, what I do, you immediately know the link. Private investment and taxes are linked and they are also linked in, uh, to what... The, the work of Professor Ficchetti. Um I specialize in capital protection for customers. Now, it immediately becomes evident that um, we need to provide, well I would like to provide, provide uh, capital protection for customers um, and with that I have to make a little jump to the uh, Sandeep Jaitley Provident Fund, or should I say <laughs> the Monsoon Fund, sorry <laughs> uh, little joke Sandeep because um, that is a gold and silver fund maybe not silver at the main beginning, which pays in gold and protects you in gold. Even on liquidation you would probably uh, have the choice and the option to uh, be paid out in gold. There is a tax link, of course, but that is not the topic of today. Uh, The topic of today would be um, possibly repetitious, however I've chosen to take a different format. Um, there is no better way, I think, to uh, have a little review midweek of what so far has been seen. I need to stop. You need to stop for 10 seconds. The battery is dead. Uh, that. <laughs> the battery is dead. It doesn't seem to balanced. I was about to say, so give me your mickey. By the way, um, Keith, the the server is in your neighbourhood. I think it's Bluehost, bluehost Bluehost.com.
0: Where is
1: that? Wherever you are in 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 the States, in near the Nevada desert. Um, I on again. Okay, you can edit this. So there is no better format, I think, to review midweek. Um, what we have seen, or what what you have probably seen already, then by using a a, a, a the criticism that has been launched by other people, um, I've chosen a document written by Mr. Robert Blumen. <clears throat> um, okay, snigger, snigger. <laughs> I didn't. Um, the, the, As we go along, I will read a few paragraphs and I will go through, because every paragraph that he writes, I'll use as a recognition point and revert back to uh, the lectures. And in fact, let's kick off here. Mr. Blumen starts his criticism of the real Bill Doctrine by a sentence that he quotes from from, um, Mises.
0: Mises.
1: Mises. Mises. Yes, (laughs) Yes, Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is from Ludwig
1: von Mises. I, I have, uh, I'm not familiar with these names, I'm sorry. The masses are misled by the assertion of the pseudo-experts, wrote Mises, that cheap money can make them prosperous at no expense whatever. Well, good point, Mr. Uh, von Mises. There's nothing wrong with that point. I can't find this. So his opening sentence is fine, but he follows. Robert Blumen, that is. In spite of efforts by classical and Austrian economists to refute it... Oh, sorry, I should say the damage that this inflationary fallacy... Has done to our monetary institutions cannot be overestimated. That's his second sentence. That's not Mises who wrote this. That is Mr. Blumen. There's already immediately a a logical error here. He starts out by saying this is an inflationary fallacy. Okay, but he's now committing the error of what is called the petitio principi. Is that the correct pronunciation in, in English? Petitio principi. Petitio. Petitio? I'll write oh, it that. The, the logical error and, and those, those students of you who are taking classes in logic. Petitio, Petitio. principi. I think it's... Uh, I'm not
0: yes. sure. Petitio principi. Principi. Yes, that's, right. That will be right, eh? All right. Thank you.
1: <coughs> Our uh, Italian and mm-hmm. Roman... Ancestor has uh, confirmed my writing, <laughs> but this is this is a classical logical error. You are taking for granted what you still need to prove, namely that this is an inflationary one and a fallacy two. <sighs> okay, sentence one was right. Sentence two, here we go. Besides that, let's let's listen to him. In spite of efforts by classical um, economists to um, refute it. Now the, refute, the refutation would be that this is um, not a fallacy, the real Bill Doctrine. It has been resurrected under many guises. It's, why does he say resurrected? It's always been there. It's never been killed. I don't understand. Um, but all with the same error at its core. And the error, he states, that printing money can create real wealth." Okay, the sentence printing money can create wealth is indeed an error. But he's confusing a few things here. A real bill is not printing money. It is not. And as you have seen, uh, he falls short of uh, proving The real Bill's Doctrine as a fallacy. I'm sorry, but that that Mr. Robert Blumen, uh, underneath his paper, it is stated that Mr. Blumen uh, is a, um, and I'll read it for you, Robert Blumen is an independent enterprise software consultant based in San Francisco. Well, I would would have, um, with all respect, I would have said, I would have thought that software consultants would be very logical people. Um, Well, it says consultant, didn't say engineer. (laughs) An independent consultant
0: in computer business usually is coding for unemployed programmers.
1: Keith, uh, you're, you're on camera. <laughs> well, th- that may explain. That may explain. Um, but, but of course, this fallacy is also repeated by other people, namely by Sean Corrigan, who is a Swiss ICT consultant. <laughs> well, yes, he is. I mean, uh, the same. The same error is compounded. And he goes on by saying that a libertarian writer, and if you, if you, he refers to Nelson Hulbert and uh, to Professor Fekete. Um, he goes on by saying that the real Bill's Doctrine has a long and controversial history. It has a long history. In fact, it is a history from the 11th century and pro- probably even before. By the 11th century, I'm, I'm, a bit of, I'm always intrigued by history. The 11th century—I mean, that's a thousand years ago—but we can still find evidence. Um, I'm not that—I um, uh, know—I know a few Latin words, but I do not know enough Latin to go back a thousand years to invest for inst- to investigate documents by the Venetian bankers of that century, because it all emerged with the Venetian bankers. Going to places like Sevilla, going to places uh, Venice, uh, also on the east, uh, the west coast of, of uh, not only it is not only the Venetian bankers; it is the Florentine bankers who were first. Sorry. Um, the emergence of of real bills has a long history. Um, part of of what the program of today uh, would would be. Uh, would, would be a little discussion or at least my view of how real bills can uh, refer to social capital and to social circulating capital. Now here's, here's my view, here's my take. There are traces that are 1,000 years old in our practice and law today. There is a law on bills, on real bills, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Gaetano, Is there is there a European directive on bills? I don't know. I didn't see any. Right. I I didn't see any. I don't think there is any. So every country has its own merchant practices into a legal system. Legal systems. Today, when you make a company, refer to what what we call a social. Uh, on the in the continental system, <laughs> we have a social seat. In the uh, English system, it would be the seat of incorporation. Besides the legal differences, we would, you know, the French the French are the best to, to explain. It is in French it's called it siège social. Your social seat, the place where you are incorporated. Then we also speak today of your, again in French, capital, social capital. You know, it comes back. Should ring a bell. This is the capital that emerges in the 11th century has to do his business. Now, I grant any criticism that in the 11th century there were no legal persona, there was no société anonyme, or there was no limited corporation. That came until much later. But he had capital. And that capital, until today, is called social capital. Strued up Mr. Blumen says, it has a long history. If I would doubt if it is after a thousand years, if it's still debatable, I think it's a practice for more than a thousand years that, that bills have been following. And, and that, got, that whole practice was, was codified, let's say, in, in, into law until, of course, the um, big financial institutions left their fingerprints into today's law, which they, they changed it. Social capital is circulating. My view on that is this: and the professor has mentioned it in, in one and in several papers on real bills, but um, on on his um, in his paper interest and discount, which you'll find on the section academic papers, but also uh, the, the, the several places where he mentions this. Social capital belongs to several merchants. If you have several merchants in New Zealand and these shopkeepers, as it is called, decide on what merchandise to keep on their shelves. It's simple. Certain goods have a high return, others have none. Or lesser, and some may be negative. Of course, you would be fooled to put them, to put on your shelves or to keep on your shelves those goods that are not, not even turning. These are the fast turning ones. If you are in New Zealand and I make specific reference to New Zealand, it suffered an earthquake. What goods are in high demand? I would say Cement and steel. There are several shopkeepers who have cement and steel, but there are thousands others in New Zealand who would uh, have the toys R Us type of store or something else. Imagine, <coughs> after an earthquake, what is what is what is your chances of of selling Barbie dolls? those orbitals are not going to get rid of your shells. What is in high demand is, right now, cement and steel and other goods. Now, if you can get away with a 50% markup, and you can get rid of that within one day, your... This is a formula, and every every shopkeeper can can work it out. And I haven't worked it out, but it gives you it gives you a figure. And this would be seven. And that is that is the um, social circulate the, the social capital social capital that is invested in this type of merchandise. cement. It's, it's got a high return. You would, you would probably find, during an earthquake, that food, salt, and water would also be there in the higher ones. But Barbie dolls or Chinese widgets would probably not move very fast, for the time being. Those merchants who have their capital tied up in less profitable goods could sell up, not replenish their shelves, and decide to put their money into this. That doesn't mean they have to convert their businesses. <coughs> that would that would take massive investment
0: costs. They would just buy the bills from the merchants
1: that are drawing that are drawing them. Because these merchants now have well, they have their own social capital, but it's not enough because there is a local shortage of cement. Not worldwide, these bills that the local merchant will draw, and I see some, do I I see some faces that, what is is drawing a bill? Does anybody know the practice of drawing a bill? Mm -hmm. Drawing a bill is simple. It is, I am making a document in which I am ordering you to pay me in 91 days or less. For the underlying goods, that much money. It's an order, our sign. I'm the work. You draw that on somebody, it's not called the drawee, it's the acceptant. The drawee is somebody else. That's usually the discount house in the old days, the acceptance house of the bank these days. Everybody working. Because that is, I mean, most young people have not seen the bill. It is is a document. With several... Places and you need to sign here and draw it. on the back, on the back. The <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> the endorsement. The endorsement would be on the back, but the acceptance and the oh, these three. days you need to sign for a vowel and, <laughs> and it's got several sides and it can be attached to the goods. Okay? But this, yes. this in fact, this, this in fact does not to be, need to be attached <laughs> to, exactly. to, exactly. to it. Or the 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 yeah. um, uh, the bill can circulate on its so why does it circulate on its own? Why? Because it's as good as gold, That's as simple as that. Here I see why you have competitors who put their own social capital <coughs> to another one. They put their money with a the competitor, they are giving him money, and for every hundred, they're giving him, let's say, 99.5. So there's a discount of half a of percent. Could be, could be uh, higher or lower. Uh, that, that depends on market conditions. In fact, it depends on what you get away with. As so in, in in New Zealand, at the time of the earthquakes, you could you could probably get away with a lot more. But that means you. This one who has some social capital can make it circulate by providing it to your competitor or whoever has, if there is no earthquake, I mean, in your off-season, you make it circulate by going, by providing it to somebody else who has a better season. That's how social capital circulates, that's how it started, marginally. It later got a lot more complicated, but this is a vote of confidence. This is a vote of confidence. It is so public that, that your competitors are willing to give you their money. This is not a says It's a form of credit, if you like, right, but it's not a loan. Okay? These goods are as good as gold well because the cement will be sold, for sure. And the steel will be sold, for sure. And the judgment of that lies with all these people who provide you with that. Of course, that's the beginning. In the later stages, you have uh, a discount house with um, specialists who would obviously be the more um, liquid. They have their own capital, and they have advisors, and people, you know, you don't need. In the beginning, you needed to know who is the person that you put your hand to. And only for 91 days, by the way. And those of you who are interested in saying, well, why don't you carry it to the bank with interest? Why do you put it with with a bill? I mean, what's the difference? There's this arbitrage between the the interest-bearing funds and the funds that you provide here with bills. Please note, there is a difference between the interest rate and the discount rate. The main point being that the interest rate is higher. Always marginally higher than the discount rate, and why is that? Well, very simple. There's more risk in interest. With this discounted bill, there's hardly ever risk because it's as good as gold. That's why interest is always higher. You could say, "Well, fine. I don't want to put my money with in a bill. I'll, I'll take the interest." But then, please know that you also take more risk. That's why riskless investors take their own social capital, make it circulate by by, by, by providing funds for a bill. It's riskless. That's the reason. That's the reason why this can float by itself. It is is a form of credit, if you like, but it's, it's, it's it's not a loan. A loan looks
0: totally different.
1: As a little digression here, is anybody disagreeing with my uh, preliminary view on why social capital can circulate? Because this is social capital, and it in fact comes from your competitors, possibly, or from your fellow colleagues. And there are several thousands of shopkeepers. And probably in the media, middle, medieval times, when it all started, there were three classes of people clergy, who didn't work. You had royalties and no, no, nobility. And then you had the guilds people. We're talking about the guilds people here, yeah, huh? And that's social cap- capital. That's their capital so, uh, circulating which did not prevail the noblemen from putting their money also into into bills, probably. I don't have documentary evidence, but who knows, um, it's it's just, I mean, it's wrong, wouldn't it? So the real bills doctrine finds its way into today's law and practice. It's a thousand years old, at least... And to call this controversial I find that a bit harsh it's been debated in the currency and and banking school debates of of, uh, the 19th century in in England but that debate I think is overrated because you had influences from uh, the currency school who would like to put their view and they made it controversial. They won the game, anyway. In his third paragraph, he says, The doctrine of real bills concerns debts Huh? Debt? Formed by transactions between business firms. I have a problem with the word debt but we'll grant him that. Um, debt means that you have a loan. This is not a loan. This is just a tie over for a couple of days. It's as good as gold, and you have the full faith and credit of your competitors putting their money into your business. Not much That nor is there much risk. So he starts with this word, debt, and when a firm purchases raw materials or partially finished goods on credit, a debt is created. I have, I have no problem with, with the sentence, but in the context of bills, raw materials are higher level goods. And the purchase of raw materials or higher level goods do not involve drawing bills. Drawing a bill you do on finished goods in high demand. The production of cement you need to finance that differently. The sale of cement and getting the cement from worldwide sources to New Zealand, that involves drawing bills. That way you also get capital because your discount rate will start going up and then makes it very attractive uh, for people all over the world to start supplying you with cement temporarily but the f- I don't I don't get this criticism um, when a firm purchases raw materials or partially finished goods on credits a debt is created sorry but this has nothing to do with real bills it's it's out of place. This is, this is um, perhaps my way of, of harsh criticism, but um, when, when you review a text, when you read something on internet, you, you need to critically read what, whatever you are reading. Yeah? It's not gospel, it's not written in stone, certainly this is not. Sorry Mr. Blumen. He goes on by saying, as an example, a manufacturer of chairs purchases wood from his supplier with a bill of exchange due in 30 days. No. You can't purchase wood with a bill. No, you can't. The chairs, yes. Not the wood. Two weeks later, finding himself short on cash, I believe that, to make payroll the wood supplier takes the bill to his local bank <coughs> well sorry yeah should be discount house which purchases the note from him for 98% of its value the discount rate here being 2% for 14 days annualized when i read this i know <gasps> gosh anybody understand what 2% for 14 days means
0: that's extortion eh
1: he did he, did he, I'm sorry, I want to repeat this. Did he say that the chair manufacturer takes the bill to the bank? Is that what he said? That's what he said. wood manufacturer. The, the wood man Yeah, okay. Thank you. Well, he could be in possession of a bill, no, uh, but for whatever reason, but this is not the way to finance. You don't use a bill to finance wood. You, you I mean, that's you, you, you use <coughs> bills to finance <coughs> user, uh, final consumer goods in high demand. The cement, ready presented on bags, on a pallet, uh, you know, bags that that can be carried away. I mean, otherwise, how could other people trust that? There's a high amount of trust involved here. You do not just trust a wood manufacturer. I mean, nobody would accept this kind of bill. I wouldn't. If it was about um, um, cement in, in New Zealand, I would accept it. If I mean, people live in a community, they know what's going on. They know who, who they can trust. They know their mergers and the surrounding mergers. They would know they would trust. This is, this is not only social circulating capital, but, but also some kind of social control. And you speak about social control also in the bill market. It, it needs to be open for scrutiny. And it's public, I mean, nobody would accept a bill on raw goods. It's just, just too far away. You can never make, in 90 days, you can never make payment f- from, from timber that still needs to be cut. If you have the finished chairs, probably in 90 days you'll, you'll get rid of all of them. That's why you can trust it. I wouldn't trust and I will never accept The practice of, you know, discount me a bill for 90 days for, you know, plain wood. We'll see what happens. No, no, no. I'm not that kind of trusty a person. And neither were these people. In medieval times and nor are they now. It will not circulate at all. So Mr. Blumen is making several mistakes here. Um, He doesn't know very well the practice. Where it originated. Neither does he know what it's all about. I stopped by saying the discount rate here being two percent for 14 days that that is extortion. It comes down to 15, 57 odd percent annualized. Would would you would would you accept being would you accept those terms? goosh that's harsh. I would not accept a bill like that unless, unless, of course, I was, I know, I have a reasonable chance of having a very big markup on, on cement and steel, and if there is an earthquake, I have a reasonable chance of having a high markup, and that that would make up for the uh, for the losses on, on on well, not interest, but on discounting. And you're at all, you're always, um, I mean. This is, this, is, this is another practice, what banks do. It's called illicit arbitrage, illicit interest arbitrage. Have you, have you spoken about it, Professor, the illicit arbitrage between the interest rates and this one?
0: Well, we talked about borrowing uh, short lending yes. long, which is basically illicit yeah. arbitrage yeah. by another name. This, I mean,
1: what, what Mr. Blumen refers to in his example to refute the real Bill's doctrine, basically he mixes up a few things, shakes, shakes it all, and then comes up with an argument. No, no, no. He gives a perfect example of, one, illicit arbitrage, and two, of, of modern um, um, banking uh, practices. He's, he's mixing those up. What what is happening here in his example is that somebody with a bill rings the comes goes to the bank. The bank takes the bill, has a good look. Hmm. Fine. And in this case, it's 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 drawn for raw raw material. Immediately, you should you should realize this is not for finished goods so this is um, an opportunity for fraud and the bank keeps it in its portfolio it is hidden (coughs) what is happening is that the bank sells this bill at the going rate it takes it but you are the one who is accepting what terms? 2% for 14 days, 57% annualized. And you probably have to put up collateral in the form of a house as well. Wow. Now, if you accept those terms, you're, you're mad. But anyway, um, this is a good example of, 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 non, of, of illicit arbitrage. Um, Banks, by the way, do not uh, create credit. Huh? This process is not credit creation, it's a negotiation of credit. Because where did they get Where, where The credit exists already in the bills market, where they discounted the bill and they sell you the interest rate. The difference is, for, is, is between them because the bill is. Um, probably not sold for for 57% annualized, but a lot less. The difference is for them. The bank has not created credit, by the way, which is another mistake. Banks have not created any credit. They have negotiated it. The collateral that you have to put up with is just making it easier. Um, But it's not money creation either. But you can see what what the, the tone of the argument Goes into he's, he's making several mistakes and then leads you into believing uh, we are talking about uh, credit. Then he makes you believe, or the tone of the article makes you believe that um, this is money creation. So he says, no special banking doctrine is required to justify an orderly loan transaction. No, you should re- one should reject this. It's not a loan transaction. A real bill is not a loan. None of these people need, need a loan. They have their social circulating capital. They have their money. And they have full faith and credit in the, um, the merchant with the cement. Otherwise they would not give them their money. It was, the social capital would not circulate there. So they don't need credit, they, they, they basically have it already. They don't need a loans, let's put it that way. The credit is given by the faith of these people. Credit. I grant the word credit. We, we cannot circumvent that. No special banking doctrine is required, nor is any new monetary theory required when firms wish to resell their paper assets for, to buyers for cash on a commercial paper market. He's suggesting already there's, a, there's some kind of paper money involved. There's no paper money. A bill is not paper money. A bill will mature into gold. Please realize that because it materializes in, or it matures into gold coin or silver coin, it's a future good, but it's 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 future gold, maximum 91 days. It is not paper money. Paper money would involve another promissory note, which keeps on rolling. This is this is wrong. Then he goes on and makes another mistake which <coughs> the real bills doctrine comes into play when the loan is sold to a bank. <coughs> we know that it's not a loan. Suppose that the holder of a real bill needs cash before the bills fall before the bill falls due. Perhaps he needs to pay off his own bills to his own suppliers. He would then present the bill to a bank the bank having been per- having been persuaded by some clever monetary theorist huh, to adopt the real bills doctrine discounts the bill now when since when do banks need external advisors like monetary crank theorists <laughs> I find this a, a hard-to-swallow sentence. Um, but I, I've chosen this article because it's comical in a way. And and the professor actually um, exposes the, uh, and as I do here, uh, exposes the ignorance um, of the people who have criticism. If you have criticism, please, you know, before you write this, come and listen to a few colleges on the Real Bills Doctrines. It is crucial to understand that in the workings of the Real Bills Doctrine, bills are to be funded not with the bank's own equity capital, (coughs) that is true, nor with savings loaned to the bank By its correctness, I grant that, bills are not funded at all in the economic sense of the term. Okay, this sentence is correct. Why is that correct? Well, bills are social circulating capital. It is other people's money, but it's not the banks. And in fact, you don't need the banks. Because your competitors and your other buddies in the business will spontaneously discount your bills. They will give you the money for a discount and for a guaranteed return. You don't need a bank. Later on the practice of a discount house may, may exist because that's the same thing, just more specialized. But you don't need banks because I mean this is merchant discount houses I I think merchant banking. That's what you call merchant banking?
0: Good. Is it commercial? I would say
1: What is that merchant banking?
0: Merchant bank is an investment bank. They are concerned with interest, loans, lending, borrowing. Yeah.
1: (coughs) Let's draw a big line between them. One could call this a discount house, and this is your ordinary bank, if there is a need for that. They probably have certain, I mean, people would need, still need merchant banks, but the role these days of of the commercial banks was, in the days of the real bills doctrine, a lot higher and a lot more prominent. Why? (coughs) Because real bills
0: were in portfolio. We uh, introduced the concept of credit arising out of savings, as opposed to credit arising out of consumption, and from this point of view, the merchant bank is the one who manages credit arising out of savings, and the commercial bank manages credit. Rising of consumption, I would really say, which I mean, this is another interesting point.
1: Those of you who have uh, listened to last year's um, expose would remember <coughs> would remember the well hexagonal model. We're not going into that one. You have interest rates. You have the floor and you have the ceiling. Anybody trying to volunteer? What rules? What rules the floor rate and the ceiling rate? This is the modeling bondholder. This is the time preference. Remember? Huh? Time preference of money. This. If, it, if interest rates rise too high, the marginal bondholder will take his opportunity and say, fine. And he waits. Of course, he, he waits until the interest rates have dropped to that point where he can say, "Hmm, nice capital gain." remember? Because when interest rates drop, the bond holder realizes a capital gain. I see faces. Do I need to explain this? I understand. You understand? Okay. This is the the floor rate of interest because now um, as I said before the this is where the, um, the merchants and the commercial banks come there is a discount rate and it's distinct uh, if, if you have let's say 5% the discount rate would be always a bit lower. <coughs> Why is that? It's a safer investment. It's a safer investment. It could temporarily go up, but it's very temporary. Please understand. The safer investment has the least interest rate, of course. And this is what banks do. They loan you the money because you need a loan, sir. No, you don't. When you come with a bill and then the bank manager tells you, well, oh, of course, I'll discount this for you. No, he doesn't. At 5%, meantime, he goes and sells this at 4%. And the difference is his. It's easy. This practice should be outlawed. One of the criticisms that was launched how can you ignore this and this is like competition, the best bank be the winner, winner-takes-all? A nonsensical argument. In most civilized countries, we have laws against misrepresentation, against fraud, against... Well, you know, if you misrepresent something, you, you are liable. At your own risk and peril, you can do that. See if you get away with it. Sometimes you can. The point of the criticism was, at a certain point, well, how can you, how can you make this practice illegal? It's, it's so easy. Well, that is easy because there's no law against it. And then they say, well, if you, even if you make a law against it, what's the point? They will still do it. Then what's the point of having a law against theft? If you are presuming already there is, they're going there, I mean, nobody will, will listen, or, or, or will, pre, um, will actually comply with no civil law practices. If there is a law against theft, and there is a law against illicit arbitrage, let's adhere to it. Simple as that. You cannot, you cannot steal, and that's the law. That's that's law. Yes. It's a two cents, two cents worth. Worth. It's not. It, I think it's worse than that. There's not only allow it to happen, but stand behind it. When the time comes that this thing crashes, then they step in and say, Oh, here's some more money, keep doing what you're doing. Uh-huh. It's like if the criminal doesn't succeed with his plot, something happens, well, help him out, get him back into the theft business. Yes. And lend him more money. Yes. here well, is already. A point where we should, that should be, that refers to modern practices. Today's laws are not the laws that were created by merchant habit. And the laws beside Gitana, are there any more? Law has a few sources. One is, of course, the written, written law, but also practice and custom is a source of law. But merchant practice for over a thousand years is also law. Lex mercatoria. Lex mercatoria, exactly. What happens, in comes the financial institutions after <coughs> the creation of different kinds of financial systems. But they're powerful, of course, and they dictate dictate how the law should look like. And really, this is what sticking to real bills. Not only is there no criminal law against illicit arbitrage, you can see the fingerprints or the footprints, if you like, in the the bills law as well. And and I'm I'm taking the example of Belgium, One, one specific example. Going back to a bill, it has several places where you have to draw, where you have to, places for signatures. The law as it used to be, version law, was that I command you, Mr. Cement, uh, keeper, to pay me in 91 days. 100,000. Now, before I give him the money, he needs to accept. This paper will circulate. That's merchant practice. What happened in today's law? Well, sir, no need for the merchant to accept. We, the acceptance house, and they don't call themselves acceptance house, will do it for you. No need for a signature. In fact, the so-called reason behind this would be that if you Write out a ghost document for goods that never existed. I mean, this, this is it. If ever. Huh? I just make a phony bill and say, I command you, Mr. X, you pay me a hundred thousand. My signature. And the acceptance house covers it. <laughs> this bill doesn't circulate. <coughs> Unless. The laws are a bit twisted, and of course, the law that says, well, if your signature is on it, you are the drawer, you are ultimately liable to pay the sum, because, I mean, if this bounces like a check, uh, whoever holds the bill will come for the money with you, which is kind of logic, but you can see the footprint of the acceptance house. has already pocketed the differences that they don't want to end up being liable for the entire capital sum, of course. They'll go back to you. Under its own steam, this bill would be accepted and the acceptor will carry the can if the bill is not paid, because he was he has accepted the order to pay. And if he if he fails to sell the cement, then he fails to come up with the money. And then he needs to invade his baby bank in order to come up with the money. This is the acceptor. This is the drawer. The drawer, sorry. Here I make a phony bill, so-called phony bill. But um, the acceptance house ties me over, and of course they're sheltering me. They're sheltering this, and they put up collateral. Oh, I have to put up collateral because obviously this is. Risky business. Uh, this, this, will not, this will not circulate in the old days, and it will certainly not circulate now. You can see the footprints in several of these um, legal provisions, <coughs> which deviate from, from, from merchant practice. Um, in a major way, and usually if you read those laws, bear in mind that it's not the lawmakers who, who have written those laws. It's somebody else.
0: <coughs> huh?
1: They've written out the law and presented that for a rubber print to Parliament. So they are covered. And I'm talking about the acceptance house, the banks. They are covered. Okay, we, we, that was a little bit of a political digression, but necessary in, in modern context. Reverting back to uh, the criticism that was launched against the Bill doctrine. Mr. Blumen says, Haldberg, that's Nelson Haldberg, and Fekete present a series of arguments for the adoption of the discounting mechanism. Yeah, that's true. In the interest of space, this essay will address some, but not all of them. He's now going to select the arguments he can say something about it, but not all of them. Smile. He then says, Credit intermediation without expansions is not elastic. Credit by itself is too rigid. The limitation of borrowing to previous savings will reduce economic growth. The term contractionist means essentially the same thing or equivalently, expanding credit beyond savings enable more goods to be produced in the absence of paper credit business firms will not be able to obtain a sufficient amount of short-term credit. Now, God, this whole paragraph is, is a mystery. This whole paragraph is a mystery. He talks about elasticity, the credit expansion, but real bills do not expand credit. He says it's too rigid. I don't get it. It's pointless. Anyway, I do not professor did, did you say that Mises
0: was a monetary crank? Uh, No, he was a very great man. He made mistakes like we all do and stand to be corrected. Mm. (coughs) uh, I think, as you say, Mises was
1: a a, uh, proper scientist, and if he would be alive today, there would be a good chance that he would accept criticism.
0: Oh, I think he did, as long as he was active, but... Mm. Uh, I think his major mistake was an absolute commitment to the quantity theory of money. Yes. uh, The the quantity theory of money, and I admit myself, this is...
1: It's seductive. It's very seductive. I have to kick my own brain once in a while. And, I mean, the, the... uh, well, you, you okay. We'll, we'll go back to the argument. But uh, the, I started out by saying that Mr. Blumen here writes down that you called Mises a monetary crank because he says I the, never did. the he monetary. Yeah, monetary. yeah. <laughs> he, he says he says yeah the monetary crank wrote Mises. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's obviously he's, he's wrong. All variants of monetary crankism suffer from the same error. Now he goes back to the argument that he says that he said in the beginning, which Mises was. I mean, Mises was right. Monetary crankism, like John Law, of John Law of uh, Larriston. Larriston. I was about to say Preston. Yes, <laughs> who descended on France, poor French. Um, he was a monetary crank, but he was brilliant in a way because. Yes. Because he knew how to extract um, a way of living <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, these days we would call them um, well, well, we would we would call them what people that go around and borrowing money from others,
0: never paying
1: it back. It's it's like fraud. For,
0: Forksters. Con, con, con artists. Con artists. The yeah, Madoffs. Con, con artists.
1: The 17th century. Now, the 17th century con artist, by example, would have been John Law, but he was brilliant enough to save his own life. Uh, he, he took big chances uh, with the French court. By the way, the guillotine still existed then. No, no wonder he escaped wearing a wig and a... Ladies frog.
0: I think the guillotine was invented a little later. French may maybe as a result. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was invented by a medical doctor by the name of Monsieur Guillotine. Was it? Oh. And yes. And and if your arm hurts then
1: he said cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to him for a headache. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've covered the criticism in this article because he just goes back on his own illogical arguments. Um, it's I'm I'm afraid there's nothing new, and the artic- the article by Sean Corrigan repeats it. If you read these articles for yourself, um, and I, I'm not sure, are you reading them now? Are you reading the news? Well, <laughs> no, you, you do. Well, I mean, you need to do whatever you want. But um, the, if you read these articles by yourself um, at your own leisure, they um, fail to convince me in their logic or in in their argument. There is maybe, uh, Professor, one, one question I would like to ask you, and that is, and I haven't, I really haven't had much time to think this over, but um, if we have the flow rate and the ceiling rate for an interest, <coughs> why shouldn't we
0: have that? With a discount
1: rate.
0: Well, we discussed this yesterday oh. before you arrived. Um, the, um, the, the, <laughs> you see, the, the axiom which we take over from Menger, Carl Menger, is that there is never, ever a monolithic price. Never, ever. There are always them. two prices, the ask and the bid. Yeah. The ask is higher, the bid is lower. Now, he announced this for commodities, but we can apply it to the uh, uh, credit markets as well. So if you go to the bond market, the bond price will have an ask and a bid and there's a spread between. And exactly the same is true for the bill market. There is an ask and a bid for the bill market. Well, there's a difference and that's the important thing and that's the answer to your question. The spread (coughs) in the bond market is wide. Mm -hmm. And there is limited ways to make it narrow However, in the bill market, the spread is, is, is very small. Not exploitable. And now, I said yesterday that the reason is because the bill is an appreciating asset. Every day mm. it will be worth more because um, the uh, number of days to maturity uh, get less and less. So accordingly the discount which is applied to the face value gets less. Yes. So it's an appreciating asset. Now somebody came to me and said well, uh, the bond is an ac- appreciating asset because a bond which is going to mature in 30 days, well, even after one day, it's closer to maturity. Well, but, I mean, you know, if it matures in 30 years or it matures in 30 days, that makes a hell of a lot of difference. So, you don't notice it's its uh, microscopic. And besides, the turbulence in the bond market is much, much greater because the risks are greater. So we can accept it that the bill is an appreciating asset and the bond is not really an appreciating, for practical purposes. Theoretically, maybe but it's not. And therefore, if you buy a bill and turn around, and want to sell it, you are very often successful to sell it exactly at the same price. And Menger says this never happens. Well, of course, he was talking about commodities. Try to buy something and immediately sell it at the same price, you won't succeed. But in the bill market is different because the spread is so small that for practical purposes, yep. okay, and therefore, uh, the display between the floor and the ceiling of the discount rate doesn 't come into play exactly the, the, it's it 's within the noise it 's so small that uh, you can ignore it and and we yes. do there 's no benefit, no profit in refining your theory to introduce that distinction which is very important okay. bond market.
1: This reminds me maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, to Exter's Inverted Pyramid. What? John Exter's Inverted Pyramid. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: This is a brilliant invention, or a representation, and in fact, if you have gold and silver here, you may just as well put bills here. Bills next, Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And all other commodities with much higher spread, like like um, diamonds, stocks, real uh, estate, bonds. Yeah. And real, real estate would be, probably be even higher. This John Dexter was brilliant enough to devise a mechanism or at least a representation where the spreads between buy and sell and he did I don't think he ever mentioned it but he intuitively applied John Menger in his uh, in his pyramid because where the spreads are high this ranks very high. The spreads between buy and sell become lower and I mean, gold and silver, there is also a spread.
0: Well, in fact, this is a measure of liquidity. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of real estate, we should say mortgages, really, because we are, we are talking about real estate. Um, well, anyhow, yeah. the point is that Man, it's all implicit in, in Menger that he introduced a measure for liquidity. And the key. So that measure is the spread and how uh, elastic the spread is. Yes. And as you descend down in that inverted pyramid, the spread becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is the measure of marketability or liquidity. And uh, yeah, you are right, this is uh, <coughs> Um, another way of looking at yeah. it, Peter. Uh, one thing I'd be
1: careful with to say that gold has a spread. Not when gold is money; it has no spread. It is the numeraire, it's the measure. Yes. Such actually, such, this is actually
0: gold does have a spread. Well, uh, gold points. Uh, gold coin is the gold points. points. The, uh, one point the gold one price of gold. Yeah, that's what I'm referring yeah. to. But,
1: you so know, you're not really selling. And buying gold, you're using gold to buy other stuff with that's the reference point. So just be sure it's that is the root
0: thing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I think uh, we, want, <laughs> can, we don't want to be cheated out of our coffee, right? So uh, I thank Peter. Thank you very much for coming and for telling us about this. We'll put the question in slightly different Uh, But we'll continue after the coffee with a discussion period. Thank you very much.